This is Coda Radio, episode 253 for April 17th, 2017. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly, what, daily sometimes, pragmatic talk show taking a look at business and software development. My name is Chris, and joining us this week is our host, the excellent Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike! Привет, comrades! Hello, hello, hello. And also, thank you to our two fine sponsors, of course, DigitalOcean, Scale Your Code, and yes, we're back again. I know, we just had an episode. <laughs> But well, we couldn't stay away. Us. We couldn't. Some some of us had it. Well, it was really you. You're a maniac. You're on like some sort of tear right now. Because I, I had to go away. I had to go to Texas. Mm, they call it a bender, but keep going. Yeah, oh, it is. Oh, a bender. Is that what we're going with? Okay, I like that. That's pretty good, Mike. That's pretty good. You know, I missed you, though. I missed you. I missed you, too. I mean, Wes is his own kind of bag of sultry. Oh, Let's man. Not, Do not the, pe- the people West. love Wes. The people, the, 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 the people demand a sausage party. I, I kind of agree, though. I think it'd be a great idea. I think, you know, the thing about... What happens? What the hell? The thing about Wes, he's a busy guy. I mean, he's a big star. You don't just, you don't just say, hey, Wes, come on to Coda Radio. Just get in here. No, you got to work with Wes's people. You know, you got to talk to his agent. You got to, you got to book through his, his account manager. Uh, And then, of course, his assistant is generally the go-between. So you don't even get to talk directly to Wes. Mm -hmm. You know, so we've begun the process. We're negotiating. We're working out. Uh, he's got a writer, so we're working out some of the details. Yeah, he, he's a rich guy, but you know, it's actually not the first time I talked to Wes on the phone. Oh yeah, uh, a couple of years ago, I dialed this one nine hundred number. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, that was his old game. Freebeardedlinuxman.com. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how we really got known. That's why yeah. we brought. That's why we brought him on for Linux Unplugged and TechSnap. He was had to, you know, because he had he had it all figured out with that one in hundred scam. I mean, uh, business. Yeah, but really, uh, I actually not joking. I uh, would love to have Wes on more. Uh, so I'll talk to him maybe tomorrow when he comes out to do the Linux Unplug show. Just I'll just put it out there, and you know, we'll just feel it out. Feel how you know he, he's got like this beer of the month club requirement now. I don't know how he got that idea. Yeah, I, well, I'm sorry about that. I, <laughs> you know, I can't do Jupiter Broadcasting sober. Yeah, yeah. Of, today is brought to you by Smirnoff with a organic lemon wedge and lots of ice. Um, so you know, we should probably. Damn, I'm jealous. We should probably also talk about the fact that we've had a lot of episodes recently. Like there was a pause, and now it's like boom, 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 coder. Uh, I made the joke during the intro that it's what daily. No, uh, not really. We're not. It's not a daily coder radio show. Uh, we just we know that you guys didn't mean for us to miss an episode. So we're not blaming you. We're not saying it's your fault, but you're welcome. We're trying. You know, we still love you, anyways. That's all I have to say about that. No, Ireland, we're just trying to catch up. We'll probably be back on our regular broadcast schedule starting next week, unless Mike Spender um, continues. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe not. Actually, there's a problem coming up. I'm going. I can say it on the air. Uh, Do it, man. I'm going to Louisiana for a while. I'm I'm so jealous. So we're gonna have to figure something out. I'm gonna be on the road for approximately a month. I'm going to Louisiana, Florida, and then North Carolina. Wow. Do you know? I don't know. I don't know if you know this about yourself, but you're not a big fan of traveling. Did you know that? So. Uh, yes, I, I I was accused of being a whiny bitch this morning about it. Actually, <laughs> by my wife. I, I, I gathered that actually. I did. <laughs> Good for you. Good 
for you. I'm glad that you felt you felt safe to voice your concerns about it's a lot of travel. It's a I lo- no longer feel safe. Let's just be clear. This is not a safe space. <sighs> so is all this is this is all uh, this is all coming up when soon? Uh, very soon. One one is a wedding. Mm-hmm. One is personal. Yeah. But then I'm of course mixing business because expense it <laughs> <laughs> we need a, we need an expense it jingle that's what somebody should take that expense it and mix those two together and give us a coda radio expense it jingle yeah, florida's business i've been going there a lot trying to trying to do a little something something yeah you are yeah you are with those ears that you might know about he mm-hmm. likes his friend is a duck sort of thing going on very litigious yeah <laughs> <laughs> not helpful sorry and then North Carolina is a visiting existing customer. So, um, you know what we could do is uh, you, you just 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 yeah, just Rika's got it in the chat room. We just have you just alter your route slightly, just a slight modification, and come about thirty five hundred miles up to Washington uh, for huh. Linux Fest and just hang out with us. We'll just record like four episodes back to back in studio. <laughs> let me let me hardcore fly from an all yeah. night. Wedding in, mm. in in New Orleans right. to Linux Fest, it'd be great. Yeah, we could I, you could do like what I did and just drive uh, from Utah to Washington in basically nonstop one stretch with one. Some. I, I I am not proud to say that I vomited in Nevada visiting System seventy six. <laughs> Thank you, food poisoning. Oh man, that's the best yeah. when you're traveling. The so, best. So that's my problem. I cheap out when I'm traveling, and I'm like, yeah, sure, Hotel Continental breakfast sounds great, yeah. and then yeah tragedy yeah yeah man i love i love me some good food poisoning nothing like uh putting some pep in your step right there well so i don't know you know if you can bring a headset and we'll be flexible we'll make it work between wes and i i bet you we whenever you're available we could probably make it work so we'll try to figure it out but people know if you if they're if we're a little off schedule uh we'll try to make it up to you we still love you and we won't hold it against you for us missing because i'm like you know you know my real mom is actually carmen san diego where is she though I can't find her. That's why I'm going across the country. You got to go find her. her. Where in the world is she, Mike? (laughs) I don't have a passport, so I hope she's in the continental U.S. Right. Same. Uh, All right. I got to fix that, too. Before we go, I did. So my absence recently was because I was down at Dell. And turns out there was actually a bunch of really good Coda Radio content down there, too. Maybe we talk about in the future. However, I just wanted to quickly promote because I'm super proud of episode 464 and episode 465 of the Linux Action Show. 464 is our live on location where we talk about canonicals, recent news, and all that. 465 just came out last night, and it is, I think, a really great, just a super tight episode. Really not a single minute is wasted. It starts right away, and it's just a bunch of really good stuff. It's called Dell's Secret Sauce. Episode 465 just came out last night. Um, Even if you're not a regular viewer of the Linux Action Show, I would recommend both these episodes, especially 465. It's fascinating stuff they're working on, including some super big high-performance computing uh, nodes, one of the top 500 computers in the world, uh, chat with some Linux history stuff, just all kinds of interesting things. So those are linked in the show notes. And Mike, did you know, this is like a huge, This start, now it's starting to feel super real. There's only three episodes of the Linux Action Show left. I know I uh, I'm, I'm about one episode behind, but I listened to the one where you said you were ending it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm wondering what kind of crack cocaine you've been smoking. Mm, you know, actually, sometimes sometimes it's time to uh, time to move on and create something new. I it's, which could be a topic someday, but uh, I I have I have not really got a chance to properly promote the fact that we are launching a commemorative going away T-shirt, and we've modified oh. the logo a little bit to celebrate the end of the show. 
And uh, Tux is a little more distinguished. He's got a beard now. Uh-huh. Plus, we've got the run of the show on there. It's And we've got a hoodie, too. It's teespring.com slash allgoodthings. And, you really uh, need an RIP underneath it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes things come back. Sometimes they've got like zombie thing. You never know. I mean, oh, I see. You know, on I the see. age of the internet, you just never. Long sleeve shirts and hoodies available too. Teespring.com slash all good things. I honestly, this logo, sh- after we did it, Ange and I were both like, we should have done that logo from the beginning. Tux is super badass with a beard. That's <laughs> really awesome. It looks like biker gang Tux. Really. <laughs> he's he's like, tough, I feel dude. Like he's he's, he's road hardened. <laughs> Right. They're like, rob me. I don't know what's even going on here. <laughs> like, if I'm at going into a bar on the road and I see a dude, like, a bunch of dudes like that, I'm going to a different bar. Yeah, well, or you could be that dude. You could be that dude at teespring.com. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can't be that dude. Um. Yeah, so it's only available for a little bit longer because the show's only got three more episodes left. So if you want it, you got to go get it. Uh, you know, I also, there was some other, so lots of great feedback about Wes. Lots of people like to have Wes back. Um, and maybe we will, especially if uh, we got crazy schedules coming up. That could work out great. There was another bit of um, feedback that came up from your conversation with Wes, and it was submitted by uh, KBK Nap, and it's Habitat. Do you want to talk about this just for a sec? Because I did a little deep dive into Habitat, and I think it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I took a quick look at it, and fortunately, I did not get time to yeah. uh, do anything that it's, it's but, high level stuff. But KBK uh, yeah. Nap did a, a good summary, and then uh, I have I have a quick like one minute sound blur by Adam Jacob, which is the, he's the CTO of chef and he's, he was announcing a habitat, but here's a KBK naps. He says, as for habitat, we're habitat. We're not using it in production yet, but it's a neat way to package up your app, whatever they may, whatever they may be. And everything it encompasses, like the database, you name it into a single output artifact. They call them hearts in a reproducible manner. This artifact can then be either run as bare metal inside a traditional container, VM, etc. There's also a lightweight runtime for these artifacts that allows some awesome things like service discovery, gossip rings, config sharing, and updating between multiple instances of these artifacts. I love that last one. Basically, it's a great way to have an extremely lightweight environment plus your app that has everything you need except for the OS and OS-related bits. Now, that got me, that got me interested enough that I thought, oh, okay, Let's let's head over to uh, the uh, the chef uh, channel and see if I could find any explanations from them. And this is uh, this is the introduction of Habitat on June fourteenth, two thousand sixteen. I believe this is a live stream of Adam Jacobs as he's detailing a little bit about it. I'll just play a quick blurb, and that sort of leads us to what the big aha moment was for Habitat, which is this: the automation has to travel with the application itself. So, if you if the application needs to do something in that build, deploy, and management lifecycle, it's the application's responsibility to do it. And we That's need to cute. get it without having to deploy anything. Uh, and, and if at any point we have to actually go and do something other than just deploy the app, then we've sort of missed it, right? That build, deploy, management cycle isn't complete. Um, and one great side effect of this that we noticed as we built Habitat was that we started to feel like we were avoiding what we call the production cliff. And so if you've ever built any infrastructure or any automation, this is a story that probably will resonate. Basically, you get a new technology. feels great. You start using it in dev, 
on your laptop. It feels amazing. You're like, this is it. This is going to change everything, right? And so you, it get, you start using it more. It gets a little more complicated. And then you get to what I call the peak of false hope. And the peak of false hope is that moment where you see the potential of the technology, but you have yet to actually get to any of the problems you'll encounter as you get closer to production. Mm-hmm. And so there's this great moment where you crest the peak of false hope, and it looks like it's all downhill from here, right? And you're like, oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to roll it out everywhere. It's going to save the day. My whole life's better. It's going to be one button. Everything's going to be the best. And then you hit this like weird curve that just shoots into the stratosphere in difficulty. Um, and that's the production cliff. And so far, in my experience... Um, that's happened for every single piece of infrastructure and automation software I have ever used, um, except for Habitat. Um, it feels so far like we've been able to hold that line where the difficulty of moving that software from left to right as it gets closer to production actually doesn't increase all that much. Um, so uh, let's show you. So you can watch the demo video. I'll have it linked in the show notes. But the idea, I think, is pretty solid because you think about it from de- delivering, from the standpoint of delivering something reproducible and testable you it's driven by the application so the environment is built around the dependencies and needs of the application so you can bring those wherever you deploy it uh, i think it's pretty cool because you can do containers you could do traditional vms uh, it's a consistent way to build and run your applications in what they call a cloud native manner and it kind of fits in with some of the work you've been doing recently with docker so i don't know it might be worth a look it's habitat.sh you know it's definitely worth a look um I like because here's a couple things I like, Mike. Just super quick, quick config it, changes it. across your uh, containers without having to rebuild the containers, which is really nice. You can share, you can share and store secrets outside the containers that then the containers get access to. Um, all that plus it has like a, a bunch of auditing stuff built in for auditing libraries and applications of a container. Just nice things. Anyways, sorry. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I like. I wasn't talking about the auditing. I mean, I am pretty well invested in Docker. If you were to check out my YouTube channel, plug plug in. Mm-hmm. I am no longer bearded. I am sorry for that. I know that was popular on there. but <laughs> The beard has been shaven. Yeah, well, <clears throat> otherwise it starts to itch when you're using the MacBook. Let me ask you a question. A beard delayed, is that a beard denied? I think it's a beard hoped is what it is. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm, the pent-up demand for a beard. <laughs> yes. um, so before we get too deep into Docker and <laughs> yeah. open source, can I, can I confess something to you? Yes. Father Chris. Go ahead, my son. Are you ready? Yes. Are, are you a, a perverse priest? Well, I don't uh, have anything on under this rope. Excellent. That's exactly what I'm looking for. I am not broadcasting this show on a Linux machine. Get out of here. And I have compounded my sin by running Docker on this Macintosh. <gasps> it's negative in the freedom dimension how is that working the docker on the mac thing because we talked about it the last time i was on the show well i made a whole youtube video showing you how to in two seconds set it up it's not bad um it is so it's pretty straightforward it's pretty straightforward i still find it easier to work with docker on ubuntu on my lemur or my raytel but in general audio visual stuff i'm finding you know i have another youtube video recorded that i haven't uploaded yet the difference between the frame drag and the audio quality is tremendous oh oh for production yeah. Yeah. Um, now, to be fair, this Mac has like a two gigs graphics card, and the Lemur has nothing in that department. Huge, the Intel. dedicated graphics makes a huge difference. Yeah. But you know, it it, um, it has sort of a corrupting effect because then something happened, Chris. Can I can I confess one more thing, Father? Yeah. Go ahead. A man broke into my house. Mm-hmm. He took my Samsung monitor. He replaced it. Are you ready? 
He, Are with, you sitting down? I'm 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 bracing with an LG Apple USB-C monitor. My son. Four 4K of sin here. You're hooked now. You see, my son, once you've seen the temptation of 4K, there is no penance. There's no there, going there, back. You so know. you now... <clears throat> let me see. <clears throat> Woo! Let me see if I understand. <clears throat> you now have gotten a taste of the high DPI, and uh, you don't really care to hook up the Rattel or uh, or something else to that uh, LG monitor. Have you tried? Can you even so, hook it up? <laughs> I don't even know that, so, that thing's so odd. So to be fair, the uh, Rattel is at my office. I'm at home right now, oh, which okay. is where the LG of Sin resides, uh, in a back room in my house where you might keep a mistress or a you know concubine of sorts. Um. Yes, Max are sinful. Send your emails now. But I have to say, I find myself slowly drifting. Sort of. You know, it, you know, Chris. It was just going to be one hit, right? It was just going to be like mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. you know, just going to do like this one, one this VPN, just this VPN, this VPN. I just had to do this VPN, just a VPN. I just had to compile the Swift code, uh-huh. and you know, listen, I, I could stop whenever I wanted to. But something but you don't want to. to you. you don't want to. Some, something happened, Chris. I, I I don't know. I just I don't know. Well, OK, so here's what's going on. I'll tell you. So, my son, I have seen this many times. <clears throat> you see, it's what you've been you've been with Linux now for about a year and the eye begins to wander. Uh, this is a this is a very common thing that many men your age go through. And uh, what it is, <laughs> it's a midlife PC crisis. Keep going. <clears throat> is uh, it's two things that are coming together. One, there's a familiarity and a workflow efficiency with that familiarity that is attractive because you've used the system in the past. Number two, there's a practicalness to it. If I've already, because I this is the one I struggle with constantly. Because for myself, I'm more my workflow is more ingrained with GNOME Desktop and the Linux file system. So for me, I don't I don't gain that efficiency when I move over to the Mac. But the but the thing that does draw me is well, I'm already here. I'm already here doing Final Cut. I just need to download this video. I just need to answer this email. I just need to go look this thing up. I'm already here. I'm already working. It's the same. If I was going to reboot into Linux, I'd be using the same exact application to do this thing. I'll just go ahead and do this really quick on the Mac. Uh, that that is a very practical, reasonable, especially for somebody who's time crunched, thing to wind up in. And um, the only and the only reason why that's necessarily bad. It's not that. Then you just have to decide if that's a bad thing for you or not. For me. I find after a while I start to want to do less things because I find the Mac slightly aggravating and how it works, especially Finder. And so um, for me, I, I, I just kind of avoid it because I find that one of the things I've learned about myself is when I really don't like using the tool, I just do less work. And I just do less work because I, I'm not super good at pushing myself for a long period of time, by a long period, I mean months, of doing something I don't want to do. And when I use the tools that I like to use, then I find that I get a lot more work done. I, I find like I have these big bursts, but it's really because I'm just working in a zone that clicks for me. And so the tool gets out of my way and I can start doing work. And if you're finding yourself in that position with the Mac, then you should probably consider just sticking with it. Because at the end of the day, these things are just tools. And when you're dead and in the ground, nobody's going to remember if you're a Linux user or a Mac user. Myself, okay, well, I feel more well, efficient under Linux. OK, well, first of all. I won't be dead in the ground. Oh, oh I'm going to be pushed through the Stargate, Daniel sure. Jackson style. I, I, you know what? I remember we talked about that that one night. I should have known that. Yes, we did. Second of all, 
it's weird because I am more efficient for about half of my work on Mac and half of it on Ubuntu. Now, I have installed GNOME because Mark Shuttleworth decided to take the rug and just pull that shit away. <laughs> um, significantly less efficient on GNOME 3, but that's not something, you know, a GNOME spin couldn't fix, right? Like doing a GNOME 2 or like a Cinnamon or whatever the hell the retro one is. Yeah, you know, for me, it was like two years ago I said... I'm going to do a 30-day GNOME program, and every day I'm going to learn to do something the GNOME way that I used to do the old way. And by the end of that 30 days, it actually, I was all in. I started not liking it by the end of the 30 days between the extensions I had added and the workflow that I grokked. Well, it worked pretty well for me. Well, Father, my sins are deeper still. I've also been writing Swift. <laughs> Tell me more, my son. I hit file new project on a universal iOS app. <laughs> um, now, do you remember? Do you remember that time when we ended the show because Swift was announced? Because <laughs> I was just going way off the rails. And you didn't want that on tape. No, yeah, I no. I was just like, I think you were like, yeah. we just got to stop. We're we're done. <laughs> like I'm done. I'm going to start cursing. On the, the industry air. is ruined, and now here you are ruining the industry one line of code at a time. Yes, but they're optionals, Chris. They're so optional. Are you talking like an entire project, or are you just are you just writing something like a specific an entire application in Swift? How has that gone for you? So far, so good. It's truth be told, uh, it's the second one, right? Git Mask is mm, also one hundred percent. But it is um, it's going pretty well so far. I mean, I'm noticing that some of the stuff I Google is inaccurate because of the whole Swift three API changes. Yeah, okay, so that is biting you slightly. Biting ever so slightly, but then like the next comment on Stack Overflow is, oh, and they changed the API signature because that's nice. That is nice that there's an active enough community that's going through and cleaning all Um, the sense. What's really interesting is I'm trying to do it as protocol oriented slash functional as possible rather than just saying like writing Objective C in Swift, right? Good for you. And how, so the sort of, you're sort of doing the challenge in a sense. And how is that going? um, I gotta be honest, I think it's going well. I think it is the right way to do things. I mean, I know there was some sick weirdo who used to come on here and tell you everything should be HTML5. <laughs> but he's clearly mistaken. That like, guy, don't listen to him. You know what? It's just so much easier to like have something dot .framework you can pull from, get the API and be done. Mm-hmm. Not like, oh, and mm-hmm. I have to do a wrapper and I have to... I mean, I, I think this app could be out in 60 days, assuming my travel schedule doesn't mess with me too much. Mm, mm. Do you think you were inspired to start this because you got the new MacBook? Yeah, I think it's kind of a gateway drug. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And now you're liking it too. Well, I kissed a MacBook and I liked it, except for the touch bar, which is disgusting. Now, what about, what, about, uh, what about your love for JetBrains? So still loving JetBrains, still not using app code. Hmm. So I guess I guess what I was where I'm going with this question is when the tools that you're using to do this are either universal or like like some of the ones from JetBrains or they're platform specific, does it change your does it change your calculus before you start the project? Like so for example, if you're creating something that will only work on Mac OS, are you less incentivized to go all in on something that could be the next big app for you? Um, or is that not a concern? Because I, I, what I'm trying to get at is back to your original question, trying to get to the root of that. 
Well, how do you mean? Can you can you expand a little <clears throat> bit? Well, well, my son, you see, uh, come closer. Oh, oh, father, what is this? There are there are some tools that uh, that are more flexible, like some of the tools that you've used in the past that run on multiple platforms that don't hold yes. you down. There are others like Xcode. <clears throat> oh, excuse me, that only work on certain platforms. And you in the past have decreed on this show that being locked in like that is extremely limiting. It is, it is very potentially a long-term bad bet because then all of a sudden something happens, a relationship goes sour, a tool doesn't work the way you want it anymore, a company changes direction. How has any of this changed? Because I, I was looking – because here's the thing, Mike. I was looking at um, your Twitter feed and you tweeted – that there was interesting complications on working in Swift on Linux specifically. Mm, Even though yes, Swift is cross-platform, uh, it behaves differently on major, non-Apple platforms. So you see, where you see where I'm yeah. going. It's like, so the Swift has this promise of being cross-platform, but in reality, it's really always going to be best on Apple's platforms. The Objective-C runtime is only available on Apple platforms. Foundation and other core libraries have separate implementations on non-Apple OSs. So, like, some foundation APIs produce divergent results on Mac and iOS than, say, on Linux? Yeah. Uh, so, I think there's a couple things parody. here. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's, let's take the easiest thing first, the tooling. Um, you know, RubyMine is RubyMine. Vim is Vim, no matter whether I'm on Mac or Linux, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, it doesn't really matter. So, and in truth, my desktop at work is still the right tell, and I'm still working on that quite a lot. The, the interesting question about Swift is... My guess is that as they one day they're going to have to deprecate or replace UIKit, right? Uh-huh. An app kit. Uh-huh. Um, and I think the Linux implementation of Swift found core foundation, you know, in, you know, import foundation is more close to where they're going. That's a big bet. But they have, you know, a decade of legacy or two decades of legacy mm-hmm. in foundation, particularly, right? Now, the issue you're alluding to is that when you run, when you compile and run Swift code on Mac or iOS, but let's just say Mac to make it easier, a lot of it actually just calls the Objective-C runtime because Objective-C still is the one true language. Mm. <laughs> yeah, okay. But on Linux, because it can't do that, mm-hmm. it has to do its own you know, LLVM thing, right? It does its own stuff. It acts as its own language. Eventually, that Objective-C runtime is going to go away. Now, eventually, it can be ten years, right? I mean, over you know, over a long enough time scale, we're not going to have it. I think that you know, just working in this Swift app, the the fact that you have to pull in dependencies that are almost certainly written in Objective C, right? It's going to be a long time before it goes away, maybe five, ten years. But eventually, we're going to see a world where they're not pulling in the Objective C runtime on Linux and other platforms. It would seem like this would be the opportunity to get there. It would seem like eventually that would be for their own for their own benefit the, the eventual goal. Well, it's actually super complicated though, right? Because you have a bunch of iOS and Mac developers who rely on things like CocoaPods or Carthage. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure, and and you have yeah. you have years and years and years of people uh, expecting and legacy. I understand right. all of that, but at the same time, like if I don't know, it seems like if Apple's going to do this, go all in, and they've stated that they want to have feature parity uh, or implementation parity, um, but. 
yet yeah. why I, I guess well, they also don't have like they also don't have like you know uh binary stability yet right with swift yet. Oh, yeah so i guess alan was, jude would say then if you want if you want uh implementation parity then you do it from the beginning i don't know that's what alan jude would say and i don't I like to argue with alan jude mm-hmm. you know what though in this case i think it's not that they have to add anything to swift they just have to remove the objective c runtime from mac and ios Hmm. And, right, and get people to switch. Make the transition over time. I think most of that switch could just happen. Yeah. Actually. <clears throat> I, think <clears throat> I think the Swift 2 to 3, um, I mean, <clears throat> from a developer's perspective, the 2 to 3 shift was probably more painful than what this would be. Because your API signatures aren't going to change, right? You're not going to have a bunch of compiler errors. Sure. sure. It's just that you're going to be forced to recompile your binary to not link to the Objective C runtime. Hmm. This is. Now. A- yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say this is this seems like an area of where uh, if you're going to get in on Swift and you're going to be writing, you're going to be writing. So the idea when we, you and I have talked about in the past is, boy, wouldn't it be great if you could share a little clo- a little code between the stuff you write for the server and the client side application? Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Is is that not really is that not really happening? Well, as you know, I'm s- still a sponsor of the Vapor project, right? Vapor.code. Yeah. Plug, plug, plug. Yeah. And that's kind it, of the idea. Is it materializing though? Is it not happening? I don't think we're there yet. Oh. Um, we're just not there yet. I mean, the problem is there's a lot of legacy. I mean, it, it's weird to say that iOS development has legacy, but it actually does, right? It's actually not that new anymore. And the challenge is, I mean, it, it's so funny you should mention this, because earlier today we were doing a internally at Buccaneer, like a competitive analysis of some of our competitors and like, you know, when we win, when we lose, why do we lose when we lose, Right. And one big thing we tend to lose on is they all have what they would call, you know, their app kit or their app baseline or their app Mm. foundation. Mm. And we don't. We do everything custom. But that means is they have basically templates of screens already done, templates of data models, core data stuff already done. They wrote, you know, five years ago and they just ship it to everybody. So everybody gets like a cookie cutter thing and then they change the UI and they modify the functionality. That gives them price compatibility. The problem is that has become a standard in the industry for a lot of dev shops. So if Apple were to say, I don't know, swing a hammer and get rid of the Objective-C runtime, all of those people would now be in the same boat we are and having to say, well, gee, everything's custom, so we have to do it at this price point, right? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> you say that'd be lovely. <laughs> well, it would be lovely, but the reality is like, we should have that too. And the fact yeah, that you yeah. know, we've been doing this for eight, eight years as a business and we don't is kind of ridiculous. Um, I mean, granted, two different businesses, but there, there, there's all these like different. Um, I would say that there is a, a community cost to getting and a technical cost to getting rid of the objective C runtime. Um, you would really, I mean, from my perspective, you know, as a consultancy, you would have raised the price of iOS development overnight. The mean price, the average price. Because everybody would be doing 100% custom development. There'd be no templating, there'd be no foundation in terms of, you know, people giving you the, their base. That their sort base of sounds like the last thing Apple would want. Right. Now, I'm sure there are some hip shops who are going to email us and say, actually, we wrote we rewrote our whole library in Swift. Good for you. Now you have an advantage in that world, right? Um, but I, I don't know, I see, here's the problem. I don't know other than caring about backend compatibility. I don't know what Apple gains and what the Swift development community would gain by getting rid of the objective C runtime other than a lot of heartache. 
Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine the belly aching. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Dominic, I should mention Scale Your Code. These are questions and challenges that Scale Your Code might help you solve. Go there and sign up on their low-flow mailing list, and you get access to interviews from successful developers, sysadmins, DevOps folks, community builders, and leaders. It's a really cool uh, resource for tutorials, inside looks. I, I have uh, been perusing the, the interview list after I signed up, and one that jumped out at me was the web performance engineer at Google. Think about that for a second. Imagine the kind of experience that Google's obsessed with web performance. He's also the co-chair of the W3C Web Performance Working Group and the author of the High Performance Networking Book. You've also seen him speak at conferences possibly and they have an interview with him at Scale Your Code. He talks also about things like HTTP2 and how it's different from HTTP1, useful things developers should know to speed up their web apps and other topics. You go to scaleyourcode.com and you sign up on their low-flow mailing list about two or three years. So emails a month and you get access to all kinds of great interviews like uh, Jeremy from Netflix and Reddit, Jeff from Stack Exchange and Discourse, David from Basecamp, which is an awesome one. Pretty great. Scaleyourcode.com. You go there, you sign up, you get access, and you get to learn from how others run their environments, the tools they use in production, and probably the most valuable, the mistakes they've made. You see how they've done this. See how they grow their infrastructure and how they solve difficult engineering problems. It's a pretty cool resource. And you can see the tools that they use, too. They talk about the tools they use, which I always find extremely valuable. Go to scaleyourcode.com and sign up. Get access to interviews, inside looks, and tutorials. ScaleYourCode.com. Thanks to ScaleYourCode for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. Check out that interview with Google's web performance engineer. Holy smokes, that's got to be that's, – that's somebody has got to know their stuff. Uh, I, had, I had an article in here that was posted on Medium that I thought maybe we'd want to cover just because it answers an email that we get in a lot to the show. And it was getting started in open source. And I, I read the whole damn thing and I actually thought pretty decent. Um, you want me to cover it, or do you want to just leave it in the show notes? It's your, it's your call, Mr. Dominic. Go ahead. You're the open source man. Wow. Wow. Well, we do get this question a lot, and so maybe we could just now say, go listen to episode 253. Uh, first of all, he had to go through realizations, and he did these in chronological order. He says, if you've never contributed to a project before, it's going to be extremely difficult to contribute to somebody else's code. You may have to consider building your own project as a way to jumpstart the process. And if you're humble and ready to learn, a lot of random people will go miles to help you with your project if it's something they're interested in. Um, it's great. Uh, it's, the whole post is really great, a great roadmap on how he got started in open source. And uh, he got documents when he started getting results from it. Then the part, the process of when he was able to contribute to other people's code and how you know, it felt, it went from feeling like something that was impossible to something that he could easily approach. So in the end... He says, just keep building stuff and show people too. It took me more than six months to finally settle in and be comfortable with open source. Even though all the, all the posts I did was describe my journey, I feel it conveys it takes time to get a grip on open source. And the only way to settle in is by writing code and building stuff. I'd like to end with a quote that perfectly describes programming in general. The more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. Albert Einstein good post. I don't need to read the whole thing to you, but I did read it, and uh, you know what? A lot of that makes a lot of sense, and it sort of uh, sort of backs up by some of the observations I've made. And, you know, now with tools, I say it like it's like they're brand new, but now, now now you kids have GitHub. It makes all this so much easier, you don't even have to get in on a mailing list. Back in my day. Is that a pretty Come good, on. old man? Come on. That was pretty good, right? Uh, you know what? That was pretty excellent. <laughs> the only thing you're missing is a get off my lawn, boy. Get off my lawn! 
Get off my lawn. I, I feel like I've nailed the old man thing. All of a sudden, well, out of nowhere. Who needs Chris, Wes? What? It's because we are old. Oh. I think I'm older than you, too. That makes me feel even older. I tell you, you what. You are older than me. You, ah. are, you know what? I might be an old man. <laughs> You're ancient. <laughs> oh, man. You know what? I was walking around Dell, and you know what really strikes me is all these companies I go to, there are so many people that work there just developing software for stuff they use in-house. I talked to this guy uh, named Mario, and uh, he created the 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 software. It was originally only internally at Dell, but now it's an open source project, and it is the... OEM modifier, I guess you'd call it, where you know you have like a production line of machines and you want to install like maybe a, um, a browser ahead of time, like maybe set the default browser to Chrome instead of Firefox and you want to add a repository, maybe you want to change the background, uh, you want to add like support service codes or something like that. Um, he created this open source software originally as like a way to respin distributions and then he modified it even further at Dell internally to automate their software setup line for Ubuntu laptops and desktops, and now it's been open sourced, and other OEMs use it to to make their modifications to Ubuntu. And it was it was interesting to see how it started as this as Mario's sort of personal project because he was uh, one of the guys behind a, a Mythbuntu distribution, which was a re- early, early, early respin of Ubuntu. Back before there was lots of derivatives of Ubuntu, there was Mythbuntu. And he kind of had to do some of the pioneering work to re-spin Ubuntu, to make his own distro from it. And that was Mythbuntu, which I was a user of. So I got to meet Mario at Dell and got to learn about how Mythbuntu came to exist, how he created these tools for himself to solve the problem, then how he got a job at Dell and I'm working at Dell. Like you realize that this is something I've been doing. I could take this software I've written and we could bring it here. We could open source it. And then he gets paid now to work on it. And the whole story was was really fascinating. So you never really know. It, probably for most folks, you get started with an open source project. It, it's really not going to go anywhere huge. But for Mario, uh, it it became a big part of what he does at Dell. And now it's a big part of what a lot of OEMs are using to modify existing imp- installations of Ubuntu and get them ready for shipment. And then you open it up when you get home and it plays a video and it asks you for your name and your keyboard layout and walks you through the final setup. Now it's just part of Ubuntu. But for Mario, it was like, a, oh, I got this Mythbuntu distro I want to respin. Let me figure out how to do that. And it's fascinating to watch that, that arc. A lot of stories like that when I was walking around Dell. A lot of stories about how they develop software internally to solve their own problem and then realize a lot of other people could use it too. So many dark matter developers. I, I think our, our, our number, our, like the one you and I hold in our head, is off by probably a factor of five. You think there's more five times as many? Yeah, I, well, yeah, I really do. I, it's woof. I, was, I, I mean, so much code is getting created to solve problems. All of it I thought was, it was pretty frustrating. Pretty fascinating. I think you're right, actually. I I think there's a whole category of code that we have not been paying attention to that is just like throwaway code, right? Mm -hmm. One time scripts or a couple time scripts that just do the job but aren't like big architects of applications. So, you and uh, Wes were talking about Electron a little bit, Mm -hmm. and uh, we got some feedback on, on that as well. Some people were sort of in the camp of, well, it depends on how you build the app, and other folks were on the camp that Electron is, is a lost cause. Did you have any follow up on that, on your thoughts on it? I Yeah, I mean, no matter what, you're going to be running a separate Chrome instance, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you can be as performant as you like, but you're not going to get around that. So I'm not saying you should never ever do it. And I think some folks took that a little too hard last week or yesterday or whatever it was. Um, 
you know, I I think there is a problem when when a bunch of applications on your workstation all have to spin up their own instance of Chrome. Yes. Yeah. What do you think right. about it? So Tom and Om, I think is how you say it, on the subreddit said the problem is not writing an app for Electron. It's bundling an entire modern web browser core with each Electron app, which he says, that's crazy now that you got Windows 10 as Edge, um, Safari and Mobile Safari, Chrome. They're all roughly similar, high quality, very compatible, capable JavaScript engines. Electron apps could just use that and not have to ship that whole Chrome underlayer. Is that crazy to you, or do you think... See, I sort of don't think it matters. I think all of these desktop apps are going to be in Chrome in the browser, right? I, I just, you know, with an Electron app, what you're really gaining are desktop notifications that are more native and the ability to have an icon on your Docker Unity Dash or, I guess, Windows, whatever. Task from an end-user perspective, but from a developer's perspective, you're getting a known quantity to ship like it's the same quantity like the, the benefit of right. electron shipping its own web engine its own web core is that it's going to render and work properly on on every desktop and every mobile device and if you start relying on edge or you rely on safari the nuances between those engines will would 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 manifest in the application itself and could you imagine as a developer having completely different support calls if it's a user on windows with edge versus a user on windows with chrome or a, a, on a Mac with, with Safari, and on Windows with Edge, and on Linux with Chrome. Like, what a nightmare. It's, 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 it, it, would be almost, it would be almost counter to what the entire point of Electron is, which is also its most resource-intensive downside. Could be right. Tom, Tom could be right. Could solve the with problem, but it could also introduce a ton of new problems. And with an Electron app on Windows, you still have, like, you can't just bundle an EXT with everything in it and have them run it. It still has to be in a directory with, like, all your web code. So your app is almost de facto open source in that case. <sighs> Creating other issues. I wonder, though, I, this, whole, this whole topic about it being the next Flash, it, when I saw that title, I was like, oh, man, that's going to get legs. That- well, I almost feel like, I mean, the next Flash is, like, a great trolley way to... Mm-hmm. Say the next Java. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> it's like, it is like or the next Internet Explorer, right? Safari's the Internet right. Explorer, right? It's, I mean, it's a trolley way to kind of say you don't like something, but it does have a point where do the benefits outweigh the costs? And I think it depends on your use case. Like if it's an internal app and you don't care, like I, I was thinking about doing an Electron app for something. And having it ship on Windows. But the fact that I have to ship the actual source code to the app. I mean, someone would put that up on GitHub in seconds, right? And what am I going to do? Chase down pirates? Chase, you know, like... I'm, I'm really torn about this. Because it, it brings application availability to everybody. Uh, yeah, that's the upside, right? Everybody can run. Here's a great, here's a great thought experiment. So, so there is submitted to the subreddit. It's called Boost Note. It's an open source note-taking application for programmers. And it looks really good. I... Um, it, it, I mean, it's got a lot of pushing my buttons. Uh, notes can be tagged. It's got great search functionality, hotkey support. You can group notes together, lots of good themes, cross-platform, Linux, Windows, Mac. It, has, it can write to markdown files, text files. It's super easy to set up and get going, and it uses Electron. And I'm like, what, what I want, but one of the core things I want for my note-taking application is it to be extremely lightweight, so much so that I generally find the most lightweight 
graphical text editor and I just leave it up on one of my second screens to take quick notes and then I generally dump that somewhere else. Uh, but this is a great example of a really well-built, well-designed application. I mean, it really, if this, this really, this really, this, this, is, this is the exact kind of application where I'm torn. My, my principles say an application like this shouldn't have the overhead and performance requirements of an Electron app. But the practical aspect, the practical like a business person in me says, yeah, but then I could use this across all my machines on different platforms and I'm done. I've essentially replaced Evernote. It's extremely tempting. So I, I don't know where to. I don't. I don't know where to draw that line. And so um, I, I do think that in the end, like NP3, like VHS, the nerds can quibble about the technical requirements and the performance overhead, but the market generally doesn't give a shit at all about that. They don't give a shit that MP3 sounds worse than FLAX or AACs. They don't give a shit that VHS looks worse than Betamax. They don't give a shit about any of that stuff. They right. just the want to work. The market may not give a crap. Yeah. Right. The market may just say, well, No shits to give. No shits. Right. I almost think it doesn't matter. I honestly, like, going with your point about dark matter development, if most development being done, which is probably true, is dark matter development. Mm-hmm then the downsides of Electron are probably well worth the cost um, or well worth the savings because you can save a lot of money and a lot of effort by going with Electron. Absolutely. And you get way more distribution capability. You get way more predictability in your application, how it runs, how it looks, how it behaves. It's just we can sit here and we can sit here and quibble about it, but it's. I think. I think it's. It's one of those things where nerds will sit here and still debate it while the rest of the world has completely moved on. Like we'll sit here and argue the merits of something while ever the rest of the market's already using it, like Docker or Android and iOS or anything. It's just the way it goes. You know, one thing we don't quibble about, one thing we don't debate: DigitalOcean and how awesome it is. That's pretty much universal. That's one of the real laws on the internet: is DigitalOcean rocks. It's a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up a rig on their infrastructure. They've got tons and tons of resources, depending on what you need, from a system that's nice and slim with a great value to a system that's got unbelievable performance, tons of cores, over 200 gigs of RAM, block storage you can attach, everything storage-wise, SSD. So you get great performance. They match it with fantastic CPUs, super fast connections into the hypervisors, and data centers all over the world. New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany. I think they have one in India now, and they're probably building one in the Antarctic. Probably. Probably. They also have a world-class interface. Better than anything I've used in 15 years of virtualization, they have nailed it. For beginners or experts, speaking of experts, an API that you die for. API to die. It's so good. Most of everything we do now, I almost never, ever log into the DigitalOcean droplet dashboard. I almost never do because it's all just executable for us via bot commands using the API. And now you, you, either if you're just one person running a shop or you're a team of hundreds, they've integrated seamless infrastructure monitoring into DigitalOcean, and you can get started. It's so nice. It's natively integrated. The software that runs on your droplets, open source, Monitoring on DigitalOcean simplifies your tool set to collect system-level metrics all in one place. And think about this from like a client perspective. How boss-level is it to have something like this? Yes, here's your real-time summary. Here's your CPU. Here's your bandwidth. 
so slick. Plus, you're staying on top of stuff. So you can make sure you add more infrastructure when you need it or see if you're overpaying, too. Pretty cool. And if you use our promo code CODERDIGITAL, you get a $10 credit. And for that $10 credit, you can run their $5 a month rig two months totally for free. Experiment with a project. Put something up in production. Create yourself a new resource, like a NextCloud instance or a SyncThing instance. Or play around with some great open source applications and just use our promo code, Coder Digital. It supports the show. You just sign up, create an account, and then apply it, and you get a $10 credit at DigitalOcean.com. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. And go check out their new real-time monitoring system. Man, that's cool. Boss level over at DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code, Coder Digital. That's Coder Digital. It supports the show and also gives you a little way to play around DigitalOcean for absolutely free. DigitalOcean.com, promo code Coder Digital. Mr. Dominic, I have a tool for you. You and Wes were going on and on about your favorite text editors, and um, I feel like you, uh, you failed to mention the elephant in the room, which is our good old reliable friend, Sublime Text 3. Ah. I know you had a Emacs talk and Vi talk, and I, you know what? Love me some Vim. Also love me some Nano. Nano Nation Unite, what's up? It's a real thing. But Sublime Text is my go-to graphical still. Just, you know what, like I said earlier, sometimes I just like having a graphical text editor open on my second screen. I can throw things in. And so to give a little love to the text editor that didn't get enough love last week, I've put together not just one tool, but a whole page of tools for Sublime Text 3. It's a collection of plugins uh, that this developer uses for his daily front-end web work, but there's all kinds of great stuff in here. Different categories. I mean, I could I could just go on and on, but it is a great way to pimp out your Sublime Text. A couple that I really liked, I'll just mention. Um, I thought this was kind of cool. Is they have the All Complete, which indexes all open files for auto completion. Mm-hmm. Bracket highlighter improves the already built in highlighting, which I thought was a nice improvement. Package control, which is the essential package manager, you're going to want to get that. Terminal, which easily opens a terminal with the current wet working directory set to the directory of the open file. I use that constantly. And you can also, if you if you have like a project that has to-do files, you have to-do review that can automatically scan. Local history will keep a local history of your files, even though you can put up it on Git for every project. Um, you may not commit every change, so it gives you a better feeling to have the possibility to go back on every change, even locally, which is killer. And sidebar enhancements, which allows you for, not, for one thing, among others, to rename the sidebar. <laughs> oh, there you go. Those are sort of like the administrative-level plugins, and there's a whole bunch of others. We have it linked. It's, a, it's up on a GitHub page, so I can't really give you the URL, but we have it linked in the show notes for the tool of the week. Giving a little love to Sublime Text because apparently Mike's just abandoned it. Just abandoned it. Oh, I see how it is. You get a Mac and you abandon Sublime Text. What is your text editor of choice on the Mac? Uh, I'm trying out Visual Studio Code still. Oh, 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 yes. Right, right, right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. That's a fair play. That is... That's a fair play. I guess maybe that's why you didn't think of your old buddy. Speaking of text. running. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> damn. I know. I just had to. I had to. After years of love. Anyways, what were you speaking of what? <laughs> no, I was going to say, uh, speaking of, uh, I don't even remember. You totally threw me with that. Boom. In your face, Mr. Dominic. In your Boom. face. So with this Swift project you're working on, I mean, I know travel is a. Uh, is a factor, but do you think we'll be hearing more about it down the road? Are you going to keep it hush hush? What's your what's your intention? No, I think we're going to hear more. I think we're. I'm going to talk about some integrations and some work with it uh, every week. Oh, really? As I hopefully make progress. Okay. Okay. Well, so I suppose we should say this. Um, 
if if the schedule changes, we will try to update the calendar. So you can follow it at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Uh, but maybe the safest bet would be just go subscribe to one of our RSS feeds because we'll always put it out in the RSS feed when a new show is released. And so if you don't want to miss it, um, go grab it and and then you'll have it when we do get a chance to record. And you're leaving when soon? Like in a week uh, or two? I'm, I'm leaving in a week and a half. Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. Sounds good. I'll, yeah, I'll try to taking that last trip to Valinor. <laughs> I'll try to remember. Are you driving? Are you going to be like road it's, tripping? It's a combination of flying and driving. You maniacs. So you're going to be renting cars and all of that. It's it's going to be out of control. Do you have like a project manager that's like that's like going to be like uh, managing all of this for you? Or are you going to be trying to do this? No, the world's going to be on fire. It's going to be bad. All right. So also, while I'm talking about the RSS feeds, uh, there is a beard in the uh, production room over there that reminds me there will be some changes coming up to the RSS feeds in the future. Uh, moving video feeds to HD. So if you're a, if you're a subscriber to the Coda Radio video feed, um, starting probably around May, beginning ish of May, it's going to convert over to HD. That's probably the biggest change for Coda Radio. Some of our other feeds on our other shows will be getting changes too. But Coda Radio listeners, if you subscribe to the video feed in May. It'll be going to HD from SD, but you probably won't see a ginormous file size increase because we're working on awesome. We have just Rikai's got Rikai has the best scripts. He's got the best. He has the best FFmpeg scripts. You know uh, they're dirty. Scripts. We talked to scripts a lot of people. Would... We've 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 talked to a, a lot of people. Tell us they're the best scripts. They're the best scripts. So right. we'll be going to HD in the Coda Radio video feed in May. What? The audio feed really won't change. However. I think maybe after you're well, maybe while you're traveling, you and I might have to come up with some new recording techniques, which may improve oh. your side of the audio because we might take Skype out of the equation for the recording while you're traveling. What? Yeah, and Sounds do lo- local recording. So you may even sound better, assuming you have a headset of some type or something that works. I do, I do, I do. So we could. And also, let me add one more thing. I am hiring for a salesperson, actually a lead generation specialist. So it's a remote job. If anybody's interested. Go ahead and reach out. Ooh, where should they, where should they, is there like a specific channel to reach you for that kind of thing? Ah, just reach out to uh, michael at buccaneertech.com or you can reach out to me at dumanuko on Twitter. Boom, nice. There's a gig available as you talk to Mike about that. Um, And uh, also, we'll also talk to, I'll see about talking to Wes tomorrow and see if maybe while you're traveling you could fill in a bit for, you know, like if if your schedule's all crazy and I can't do it or if you could just join us for, uh, for a sausage fest on a future episode of the Coda Radio Sounds program. festive indeed. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll wrap it up right there. You ready? To, you ready to get out of here and uh, call it a uh, another wrap fine episode? Up. Man, it's like Coda Coder Coder back to back Coder. It's Coder Coder. Thank you for joining us this week. You can get involved in the conversation over at coderadio.reddit.com. Like feedback, topic suggestions, or email us. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/contact. Choose Coder Radio from L dropdown and send us in your thoughts. Like I mentioned earlier, subscribe. We'll have links at every single show post and watch us for live times at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. I'm at Chris LAS on Twitter. The network's at Jupiter Signal. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you right back here next week. <laughs> <laughs>